Okay, so this is Cup of Chi. My name is Anthony Monteith. Welcome to the podcast. And today I have a special guest, Kieran McKenna, who I met, I think, about five years ago, Kieran, in a business networking community. And today we're going to be talking to Kieran about his life, where he is at the moment, what he's been up to, and I suppose the importance of nourishing yourself, looking after yourself in business, especially in sales, because that's what Kieran's speciality is. So Kieran, I'll hand it over to you. I know your life, you've done a lot of things, so <laughs> let's not go too far into it, but give me a brief overview of where you started yeah. and how you get to where you were. Well, Anthony, uh, thank you for the opportunity this morning. Uh, my name's Kieran McKenna from company called Woodhazel Consulting. It's a husband and wife team. I, I specialize in sales and sales theory and giving people confidence in promoting and selling themselves. And a lot of that really is just about people being authentic and actually being their best selves. Um, my wife, Rachel, is part of the business as well, and she specializes in marketing. She's a specialist marketing manager. Um, and her main role is to help people to market themselves. And so sales and marketing, husband and wife, um, it's worked together for 35 years this year. So next wow. month. So uh, <laughs> That's twice as long as I've been with my, uh, together with my wife. So <laughs> well, there you go. And, and it's, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting dynamic when you work. Do you, do you work with your wife, Anthony, at all? Or have you ever worked? I have with done her? in the past. We've worked together on projects. You know, I used to do a little bit of work in the corporate sector, but, um, and we worked, we were working on projects ourselves in the past. We were going to build a retreat center. Uh, yes. down, down in County Waterford. So that was going to be our dream. But I think it didn't happen for the right reason. And uh, she said to me, you know, she saw what uh, happened to her parents when they worked together and she didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a different dynamic and, and you do have to... Uh, you do have to play to each other's strengths and, and be there and support each other and... Um, as I say, we we both met when we were in college back in the eighties in Dublin. Rachel went to UCD. I went to Trinity. I did economics and philosophy, and she she was when I met her. She was qualifying as a teacher. She was doing her HDIP. Um, wow. back in the late eighties in Dublin before you came here, yeah. Anthony. It was a very different Ireland, and um, it, it there was no economic boom, and it was very much recession. And uh, people didn't have expectations that they were going to be working here. Mm. Uh, and so they did a thing called the milk round, which is where they used to come to the colleges. Uh, and in particular, they used to love coming to Ireland because we had a very good, young, vibrant population. And um, they knew that they could get very highly educated, uh, smart people yeah. who would be happy to come to the UK and work there. Um purely because of the fact that um, uh, they couldn't convince a lot of UK-based people to come and work in London because there was this thing about London being so expensive. It was, though. It was. I mean, I first time I was in uh, Ireland was 92. Yes. And I could see, like, by the time I came, I came back then in 97 to live, and I could see the difference in five years, like... Uh, but I remember I had a couple of mates who went to London University to study, and we used to go, "How are you? How are you doing that? Like we couldn't even imagine the cost, like accommodation. How is that possible?" Well, you see, again, we we a lot of the Irish that went over there, we used to share houses and things like that. So it was uh, it, it was a hell of a lot cheaper when there was when there was a few of you sharing a house and things like that, and it was all one big adventure. And mm. um, and the graduate scheme was a great thing because they'd bring they'd bring you over and they'd employ you for two years to work in every department in the company. So I, I went with a company called New Air, who were a big electrical wholesaler. And Rachel went over with a company called uh, Commercial Union, who were a big insurance company. Oh, yeah. And we both went over as graduate trainees. Um, and the, the main idea was that you'd be, you'd be London-based. Um, and we couldn't believe they paid us 15% more for living in London. <laughs> you know, they called it London waiting allowance, you know, and you, 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 um, you thought, this is great. This is fantastic. Um, and because it wasn't home, whenever there was an opportunity to go and do a project, say, in 
Eastbourne or Birmingham or Scotland or Portsmouth, I'd go, yeah, brilliant. Send me out. I'd love to do it because uh, they put you up in the hotel and you'd, you'd, you'd learn your thing. And, and it's something that doesn't really happen a hell of a lot now where, where they would employ you for two years without you actually doing anything other than writing reports and learning the business. And, and, and they'd invest in you yeah. and they'd see what you were. Um, I was pretty comfortable that I was going to end up selling or I it, that's kind of what I wanted to do. But they wouldn't give you a sales job. First off, you had to do admin or purchasing uh, purely because um, they wanted to see what you were made of and they didn't want to give you a car straight away. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. And they wanted to see... Did you have a bit of determination and grit, and did, and for you to understand the business? Like, there's no point yeah. selling if you don't understand what you're selling. And also to be in departments whereby it wasn't as glamorous, and you understood that it was important to get paid, or you understood that it was to buy right. Um, so the first place I went was Crawley, and that's where I did my graduate training, and I loved it. And and, and then the first appointment I had was purchasing manager in Basingstoke. Uh, yeah. Again, was one of those Crawley and Basingstoke were similar. They were big industrial type, industrial estate type places just on the outskirts of London, where yeah. loads of people had emigrated literally <laughs> out of London uh, and didn't want to um, live there. The, you know, people commuted in and out, and and you, you noticed there wasn't a hell of a lot going on in those towns that purely because people commuted. I used to work with a debt. I used to work in a debt recovery office, right? So when I left university, I had a, I had a degree in health science. I was a health scientist. You could not get work in, in, in England. We were in a, you know, we had Thatcher had gone and we had this um, other chap. I can't remember his name. The guy with the glasses, you know, the one. John Major. Major, that's it. And the, the, the grey man. And the country, yeah. was in, the country was, I won't mind saying the country was in a shit state. And yeah. we'd had the poll tax rights and all that. But um, there was a lot of debt. So it was really easy to get a job in debt recovery. But I worked with a guy from Crawley and he had the crew cut, you know, he had the like the flat top, he had the bomber jacket. And we used to call him the Terminator because <laughs> he was just... He was a serious guy. Like, you know, and I said, what are you doing up in Lancashire? He said, oh, there's nothing in Crawley. It's just a concrete jungle. And, um, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't great being Irish there at the time. Um, oh, no, no, I remember that. There was a lot of the Irish jokes, and there was a lot of the Irish, uh, you know, when, great sort of sort of stuff. Yeah, happened, yeah. Uh, and we weren't the most popular, and um, that, you, you, you learned to to have a thick skin and put up with because the Irish jokes invariably they weren't that funny, really. And 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 and, and um, but it it, it it was grand, and then you opened your mouth, and sometimes you you, you get a bit of reaction, and people would say stuff. Um, yeah. I noticed that more in southern. It turned on its head in the nineties. Actually, it went the complete opposite, where actually it was really cool and nice to be out. And, yes, and, river dance. And, thank you. <laughs> river dance. Thank you. Yes, I, 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 and also maybe boys on you because, as I say, you two, I to me were vital because they growing up in the eighties. It did make you proud to be Irish, no matter what. They were the biggest band in the world, and and uh, again, they 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 said things with a positive message. I, I know it's not cool to say you like the mail, but mm. uh, they they brought a hell of a lot to the Irish economy. People literally coming to see where you two were from and things like that. And um, yeah. but London was brilliant, and it it gave me my first opportunity to get into sales when I actually. Um, did eventually get on the road. Uh, I got a patch in central London between the A23 and the A3, and you literally came out from central London the whole way down as far as Crawley, and it, and it was brilliant. And, and when you were in central London, it didn't make any sense to drive. You just got on the tube and, and you walked. Yeah. Uh, you walked into places, and as I say, if you, were, if you went onto a building site, that's when it was bloody brilliant being Irish because everyone on it, <laughs> they, they, they were all working there and you got past people and you, you, you won orders on the fact that, you know, there was, there was Irish contractors there. And it, it, you were totally motivated by just 
the job and you loved it. And, and, and actually, you got into the fact that you were selling yeah. and that people bought from people. And, and you learned very quickly that if, if, if they liked you, the orders went up. And you learned very quickly that if you if you went in and um, you went and 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 were nice to people and gave good service and 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 were particularly memorable. And me having a name like Kieran was a very difficult thing because I kept the spelling C I A R A N. Yeah. And they, they couldn't say my name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they never forgot me. I, I struggled with the with the names like Neve and Sasha and. You know, yeah. those friends' names and Blanard. It was like, what the heck is this? <laughs> <laughs> well, Kiran was a Kirian, Syrian, carry yeah. uh, on, you know, and, yeah. and, they, and but they never forgot you. When you handed your card in, they remembered that was the guy with the name. Yeah. And, and I never had a problem from that point of view. And I always recommend people to actually present their business card with very, very, um, confident there that that you're proud to be who you are and actually when you explain that to people um that's part of the call it it, it breaks the ice um and it means that that's the, rather than just someone bland who might be x y or z um yep. well, pretty soon when i was on the road i i realized that actually what i really loved apart from the selling, was actually sales management and actually who could be good and why you'd be good and what things were, um, you know, how you build a sales team. Because I was part of a sales team and, and, and I thought to myself, do you know what? I, I, it most, I, I was the, at, at that time, there weren't that many non-Irish in the team. Or, sorry, non-white English speakers. You know they were they were they, they were all um, they, they had an electrical background or they they had a uh, they they were very much local um, and I I believe that actually it made sense if in particular if you were in London to have a diverse team and to have a team that uh, reflected uh, the fact that there were more women in in. in, in, in coming into the business now and there were more people from my background from uh, Asia and things like that. So um, that's why London was a very interesting place at that time because Ireland wasn't like that. As, as you remember, when you first came to Ireland, we we, we, we first population at that yeah. stage, were we? Um, so oh, I, I, I suppose my, my, my major thing that I really wanted to do then was to actually uh, build my career in sales and sales management. And at the same time, Rachel built her career in marketing and marketing management. And both of us were very... people coming into the business and, and actually building them up and making oh is there a problem Anthony yeah sorry can you my uh, internet just got a bit unstable there can you just go ahead and say uh you were talking about how you'd preferred the sales sales force to be more diverse in culture uh and then you were talking about how you met Rachel or how you hooked up with Rachel in London well, no, we got together before. Oh, okay. <laughs> we met before we went over. Oh, okay, okay, all right. So the two of you were living in London, and you got this stretch, this patch, if you like, that you were very well, successful in. Yeah, and, 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 and I suppose where we're at really at the moment, Anthony, is, is I'm back now doing that role in... Uh, consultant trying to trying to help people to actually be the best of themselves because that that was my favorite job when when we came back to ireland it was for family reasons and that was 17 years ago and um that career kind of goes out the window because my mother 
wasn't well and my father uh, wasn't coping very well with it. And you get one chance. And myself and Rachel decided um, that it made sense to come back yeah. to Ireland just as our daughter Ailish was coming to her uh, the end of primary school. Um, and I suppose that's that's where things like we're having this discussion now about life and what where life takes you and what you do and you, and you come to these crossroads in life like um I could have stayed in the UK as a as a regional sales manager and been very corporate and the same with Rachel Steed have been a regional marketing manager in the company that she was in yeah. and um you know we we we'd have had a very nice comfortable life in in, in South London and um but you have to think about why are you doing things and what's important to you and um, is family where you're at. Um, and so that's where we made the decision to come back to Ireland. Um, and it, it, it was a phenomenal decision from the point of view of actually uh, reconnecting with a new country and a very different Ireland. By that stage, when did you come to Ireland, Anthony? Uh, I, well, I was traveling here since 92, but I moved here in 97. I made a conscious decision. Uh, it was actually the week just before Diana passed away in that crash in the, the tunnel in Paris. And I was living in the west of Ireland. Uh, and I remember the, the family I was living with, they woke me up and said, oh, you know, Princess Dyer's dead. And thinking that I'd be like, oh, my God. And I was like, oh, OK. Because, you know, <laughs> I think there's like an assumption that every... English or British person as super royalist, but never really was, you know, I had a fascination with them, but I wasn't really into it. Um, I, 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 hers was a tabloid case anyway, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was like, that was a pivotal moment for me because it was like, oh, okay. I, and then I felt like that I'm okay with that lack of, lack of attachment to Britain. Um, I mean, the first six years living here was a little bit up and down because there's a cultural uh adjustment you know because i was very direct in business and very like black and white get the job done northern english kind of both you know but because my parents had traveled i had i was a little bit more i suppose worldly wise um understanding different cultures and stuff but uh yeah then i mean later on as the years went by i realized i shared a lot of a lot of irish heritage in my family uh, going back to Donegal and stuff like that. So, it, I think, did, you, did you know you had it? I didn't really know I had it. I, you know, I knew I had it by birthright, but you know, it's kind of a long, convoluted story uh, about about my 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 dad's real father. He was born in North, well Donegal, but before it was Northern Ireland. You know, before Northern Ireland was that whole thing was created. So he was born in the eighteen hundreds. Died in the six died in the sixties. So. It's, you know, uh, it, it is within me. And then I found out about Captain Robert Monteith, of course, who nobody really mentions anymore. And I was quite disappointed when we had... Did he he wasn't like Captain Boycott, was he? He, he was like friends with... Uh, he was friends with Casement. And oh, right, worked, okay. They worked together to get, you know, Casement got tried and hung in, in London. But, uh, yeah, he, he escaped, I suppose, because he escaped, you know, he escaped to New York. Um, but he was from Newtown Mount Kennedy originally. But, I mean, Monteith isn't obviously an Irish name. It's, it has Scottish roots, Mount Heath, Mountain of Heath. Um, as, as, as does McKenna. It, 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 it's all different clans. Like, like we, as was the Mackenzie clan and, and, and the Kennas and things like that. And yeah. The yeah, there was there was a Scottish king that ruled Ireland, uh, you know, yeah. uh, in the 1600s. So, and even before that. So it's it's you know, do you know what I mean? It's it's the Scots and the Irish are more closely related than they think. Oh, 100 percent. And 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 in fact, when you look at all the when you go up onto the border counties there, like where you were talking about Donegal, as I said, the McKennas are very strong in uh, Monaghan. And Tyrone, and places that, and my the other side of my family were the Burns, who were who who again were very strong in uh, Wicklow, mm. and um, but they were all clans and they were all families and they all fought, 
And the McKennas are a renowned fighting family. Um, and, and I think the Monteiths probably are as well. But they were, they were uh, Monteiths were knights, but they were like, I suppose, knights for hire. Yeah. Mercenary sort of family. They would have worked for the Graham clan in Scotland and they would have sided with more towards royalty than uh than towards William Wallace and his stuff. They saw they, they realized that it, you know, as nice as it is to have the romance of Scottish freedom, they they, they understood that, you know, if you want power and money and glory, you've got to side yourself with the people who've got power, money, and glory, you know. And I think a lot of that happened in Ireland too. And we could even sort of say that even De Valera was uh was doing that a little bit as well to keep power in Ireland, you know. So um yeah, it's 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 it, 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 when you're talking clan and when you're talking family and you're going back to those generations now. Um, for me, it, it, it was a case of coming home, but it was coming home to a very different Ireland and a very different family and uh, a very different um, uh, and, and and much more positive country uh, because I came back in the boom. Two thousand and five was okay. lit. Yeah. Uh, we had a five-bedroom house in Purley, and for the exact, which is a lovely part of London in South London, right in the uh, stockbroker belt, nice. and we got a bedroom house in Redfernham. <laughs> Do you know? Because that's that's the way the prices were, and that and that's and that's where it was at, and um, be, be, because um, my job. Initially, I came back and got into the electrical wholesaling and got into sales management again. But we knew that was only going to be for a year or two. Hmm. Well, as we settled out into school in Ireland, and uh, Rachel didn't work for that time. She she got her settled in and 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 was part. And we we had a kind of regime with helping with my mum and um, hmm. support. And um, but when it came to look for a flexible job, uh, it made sense that it, it, it was my job that did that you know and that you'd look to get agencies and stuff like that um yeah so that i could have the flexibility because i was working for myself um and that was a new kind of thing as well where where, where you actually have your own business and you're actually um on a contract for you're not actually the end user and and so probably when you came over to Ireland first, your, your biggest problem was probably getting paid, Anthony, was it? Um, yeah, well, actually, what was interesting, um, I, I came in 97 and money was starting to come. And it was that state where you could go into a job on a Monday, leave on the Friday and start a new job on a Monday. It, it was getting that crazy. Um, uh, what, were you, what were you doing at this stage? Were you Because you weren't doing what you were doing now. No, so I, I I qualified as a health scientist in '95 university. I could not get work in England. There was there was just nothing in that field. It was just impossible to get into. Um, so uh, what I had to do was uh, hold on a second here. Something going on with my Zoom. Is I had to get a work. So I when I was here, I got a job in admin. So I was working for um, I'm sure you remember ESAT Digiphone. We used to call them ESAT Dodgy Phone. Uh, yes. I worked with them for a couple of years, and that got me back up into Dublin. So I worked there. And was that was that in credit control or was or? that kind of stuff? Yeah, uh, debt recovery sorts. The stuff that I'd done in England that I knew, but I always had you know I always had in the back of my mind to get the therapy going, you know. And I'd even approached a couple of sports colleges and gyms and stuff like that in Limerick, and people had said, "Yeah, come down. We need we need a physical therapist." Um. It was only really when we got to London, uh, to Dublin that it really sort of kicked off because I think people were more multicultural. It was even not super multicultural, but it was more more like that. And there was just more more people, more population. It was easier to land clients. People understood what happened. Well, you were actually you were, we were actually we were actually getting people coming into Ireland, uh, whereas yeah. pre it was just everyone was on the boat out. It, it did. Yeah. Uh, and so you had you had whole communities coming to Ireland as well. You know the Polish community, the Nigerian community, uh, and it was brilliant, wasn't it? It was amazing. Like we, myself, and my, when I met my wife, eventually we invested in um, in renewables, um, renewable energy, because that was like 
that was the thing in Ireland. Everybody was in, into that. You know, they were building these wind farms. And that was great for us. That that helped us a little bit get to where we wanted to get to financially at the time. But um yeah, I think I think what happened for me was it was like the beginning of a journey. Um, because I'd I'd actually been involved in martial arts, I'd injured my knee, I was having problems recovering. I was switched on to Chinese medicine for that. I'd had an operation in Dunleary. And it was through that, with having the physical therapy qualification from the UK, which I'd studied for the two years post-grad, it just made sense to me. You know, I was in my, you know, mid, early 20s. I thought, right, I'm big enough, bold enough. I had a massage practice in England uh, out of my apartment where I was living. And, and, that, was, that, and that was from your qualifications that you yeah, had? Yeah, you know... There wasn't any work, so I had to kind of make work for myself. So I, I was teaching martial arts. I was working a day job, and I was treating people in the evening. So I had, like, three jobs on the go um, just to kind of survive. I mean, you could survive on very little in Northern England. Like, the apartments I lived in was 22500 to buy brand new. You know, my car was £650, and it, it ran for two years, no problems, in old Nissan. You didn't need much to live on. Like, car insurance was £300 a year, you know. You didn't you didn't have mobile phones, right? There was none of that. Um, gas and electricity was very reasonable. So it's just, you know, it's like a teacher of mine says, it's not the amount you earn, it's what you do with what the amount you you there. Sorry. It's not how much you earn, it's what you do with what you're earning. I'm perfect, but yeah. Say again. I, I, you're frozen. Okay, hold on a sec. I'm just, I'm going to stop the call and restart it. Is that okay? Because I think my internet is, you know, I'll just, I can edit this anyway. So I'll stop and then restart. Okay. This is, um, what, what I learned about coming back to Ireland and, and, and working in, uh, and, and, and actually, what motivated me and why you do things and where you're at and um because i had come back not for career and 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 was actually um doing doing the work i actually tended to do work that i liked to do <laughs> and i tended to deal with people that i liked it, it didn't always pay as well no. <laughs> It, 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 it sometimes wasn't the greatest decisions, but but because I was working for myself, you, you could you, you could try different things and you could learn different things. And um, the corporate the corporate world was very different. And so the corporate world in the UK, as you say, was very structured and it was brilliant. And I learned techniques, and I you got great opportunities and great training. Um, and great support. So, as you said, in Ireland, it was very cavalier when you came back, and 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 it was um, it 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 was very much about who who was popular, and uh, it, it 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 some of those places it it took a little it, certain towns you had to know who who the right people were and things like that. So I suppose all. The combination of 17 years in the UK and 17 years back in Ireland and all the different sales and different roles and different versions and different motivators kind of have led me to believe that actually what I, the job I'm doing now is to help people to help themselves to maximize their, their personality and themselves to, to become the best version of themselves to be able to sell themselves. And, and I suppose the person you have to sell yourself to first is yourself. And a lot of people kind of think selling is, is about, um, oh, I have to put on a performance or I have to be a certain way. And, and, and people see through that, don't they? they? They, Yeah. At some subconscious level, they'll say, oh, that was nice, but there's something a little bit, in, and you know, the subconsciously it's not authentic. You know, I, I've had this a lot when I've gone to buy a car. 
you know, and the guy's immediately using, I can tell he's using a technique on me, you know, to get me to say yes. Oh, it's a nice day, isn't it? Yes. Oh, it's a lovely color, isn't it? Yes. Oh, it's, you know, it's like, how many yeses can I get at? And I'm like, yeah, just stop, you know. And nowadays, you know, and I know when you go to buy a car, you've pretty much made up your mind you're going to buy that car. You, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, just get in the car, take it for a spin. Do you like it? You know. But, but, but also the other thing to remember is, it is also that it's not about that sale. It's about the fact that that person might know other people and they could refer you, or it might be that that person um, has got family members that, that that might want a car. And, and, and so people can be very short-term when it comes to selling. They, they, they think they have to win the order. It's not. You have to provide the service. You have to invoice correctly. Yeah. You have to uh, be able to not get it right sometimes. And uh, people will always remember the people who actually sorted out a problem when things went wrong and and, and, and who you go back to. Um, and, and I suppose being authentic is really key because people buy from people, don't they? And in what you... In... in in the role that you do, it's absolutely vital because people trust you with so many key parts of their lives. It's their health. People open up your heart to you. You know, it's it's not like just dealing with bad backs, necks and shoulders. You know, I have a guy coming in at the moment I'm treating and, you know, his various issues. And then sort of two or three sessions in, we're talking about life. We're talking about life and what he's been through and, you know, relationships and family and, and it's like it's more than just treating him for you know physical pain, um, uh, and so. And it's not you telling him stuff, is it? It's you listening. I'm listening. Well, I mean, if he wants to, you know, I'll, I'll be as honest as I can. I don't obviously reveal too much. Some of my oldest patients, 15, 20 years with me, they know more about me. How's the kids? You know, how's the house? You know, because they've they just they've been so long. It's. They've become part of that that network, that what I call the ambassadors. They're the ones that. Well, isn't it, it, are, are, those, are, those, are those the kind of people that they are actually your salespeople? They're the people who. Yeah, the people that. Yes. Yeah. And they go out and they say, "Do you know that Anthony Monteith is a really good guy? If if you have this, if you have that, he's the bloke." And you you don't even know they're doing it. No, no, no. You know, but if I if I go through my intake forms. And I did this a few years ago as an experiment. I used to put in who who referred you. And 93% were friends or family, neighbors. I can tell you 7%, the remainder, only 1% was internet. Only 1%, despite, you know, you can do all the SEO, all the optimization. And that's what I was about to say. And people will be telling you, you know, you need to spend an absolute fortune doing this and you need to do that. And yeah. why haven't you done this? And why aren't you on that website? And why aren't you on, why aren't you doing direct marketing? And why aren't you doing direct mail? And why aren't you doing this? And why? And that's all spending money without having <laughs> achieved anything. Whereas you, through being good, service and through being really good at what you do and through actually being a good listener and giving a thoroughly uh far-sighted service for years hmm. your, your best form of marketing is also your best form of selling yeah i mean there is i used to have a mentor in the states and um she would say you know that she would actually hand write letters she would sit down once a month and just pick a five or 10 clients, handwritten letter, and she'd either give it to them or post it to them and just say, you know, thank you so much for your support, for trusting me, for coming to my clinic, for favoring, for, you know, referring people to me. And she, she would do this quite a bit, you know, and she'd do it particularly more so with clients maybe that she hadn't seen in a while. So it was a good way of, because I would say to all my students, 20% of your clients pay the bills right? Those 20%, the repeats, the returning customers pay the bills. 80% is new blood. It keeps the cogs turning. It keeps the wheels, you know, it gives you new things to work on. It also gives you new opportunities to meet new people. 
and see what transpires out of that. And it's also, you are going to have attrition because you are going to lose customers and you will, you know, you can't be perfect and you will yeah. have where they fall off and just decide, do you know what? It's so, not for Yeah. Uh, or other ones who you've actually cured them, <laughs> do you know? And, 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 and much and all as they love you, there's no point in them coming. They still might come for other aspects of your service, you know, with regard to the, the health food or the ingredients or the... Or, 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 I always say to my students, there, there is there's going to be one client and that one client is going to be the game changer. It's going to be the game changer. But it's you maintaining that consistency in your approach. You know, even if you're under pressure and distress, you're very busy, try to remain some level of quality of treatment. And I had this lady who'd hurt her back and she was a community nurse and I was able to slot her in, get her sorted. Within two or three days, she was out of pain. And she thought this was a miracle because she'd been to everybody. Just so happened it was timing. It was the right approach, the right technique for her, the right medicine for her. She was cured. She went and told everybody in her community. Every single house call she made, she was handing out my business cards. Go to this guy. Oh, you've got a shoulder pain. Go to this guy. Oh, you've back pain. Go to this guy. Oh, you've hurt your ankle. Go to this guy. So she sent me about 40 clients. Now, I did the research on this. The average Irish person knows 500 people in their circle. And now some of those people are close, some of those are distant, but they know at least 500 people in some sort of social network. That's quite a lot of people. In the UK, it's half that. So you only need one Irish person to refer to one other person, and then they have access to another 500 people that could possibly be referred to you. So to me, it made sense to come to Ireland, to work in Ireland, to do the therapy in Ireland, because my girlfriend at the time said, you know, Irish people, that's what they do. They go to church, they go to GAA, they go to the community hall, they go to the dance halls, they go to bridge, they go to soccer. I, 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 I was about to say, it depends on the sport. My background is rugby, so yeah. it would be club and then you but GAA is everything isn't it like every part of the community yeah it's changed I mean even for me I see all the posh estates in Dublin now they're all doing GAA even though most of the parents probably never played it and they don't even understand but it's it's a fashion you know my sons because of Dublin you know, for example Dublin have done so well in the football so now every part of Dublin is promoting GAA Football and it's a big business. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the same. Hurling's really on the up in Dublin, and and yeah. uh, as I say, uh, it's not just Dublin it, no. it, because it, 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 it's it's the community, isn't it? It's where we're from. Yes. And, and so when you when you come to uh, up where we're from, we we've Ballyboat and St Enders, we have Temple Oak, Sing Street, we have yeah. Uh, Fogs, GA, you know, and, but but it's it's all about the community and it's all and and in my case with the rugby club, it's Tanya College Rugby Club. And yeah. when they got to the final of the Leinster League last year, it, it, because we the whole community went to Lansdowne Road for the final. They were yeah. playing the half, so it was north side against south side. Yeah. Rugby had kind of got away with that because Leinster and Munster are big, big kind of franchises. Um but rugby now has actually re, regrown itself now in the community, and 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 actually club rugby people are looking to go to go back and watch it because it's there's not those big hits that you're seeing on the because again rugby is a different game now, but 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 there's some serious injuries happening. Whereas yeah. at the club end, you're still seeing people who 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 are in the community with you, and who who you could have a pint with, or who 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 you can have a laugh with. Whereas the, the the corporate football and the corporate rugby, it's it's a different beast, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I treat I treated guys who play for Calasta. I traded one international who played over in Toulouse. Uh, I treated a young lad who was trying to make it into Leinster, and I see the injuries they got. You know, they've they've shoulder injuries, concussion, blow blow. They blow out the knees a lot. You know, it's it's a, yeah. tough, it's a really tough. What, what can you? Concussion is going to be massive, isn't it? It's huge. I mean, there's massive research now into the use of psychedelics at a therapeutic dose for concussion. Um, I, I, I favor the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is uh, it's like being in an aircraft. 
and your body's compressed and they force oxygen into your body. That's very good for head injuries. So there's a lot of things we can do now um, to help to help people with that. I mean, the famous boxer Mike Tyson has been, you know, dosing himself with uh, with magic mushrooms because he said that's helped him a lot to recover a lot of his brain function that he lost from being. I mean, he wasn't hit that much, but he took a few big shots in his in his day. Um, so, if, you, if you look at that England Rugby World Cup winning team, like you've, you've got the hooker there, Steve Thompson, and, you know, yeah. he, 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 he's, um, he's got dementia. Like, it's, it's savage. Yeah. And, yeah. And, it's, yeah. uh, and people have to be very careful about what they're doing, don't they? I have a friend there, George, in Canada, and he, he as a kid, he, dived, he was diving off a, off a diving board into a pool, and there wasn't enough water in the pool. And he hit the bottom of the pool and cranked his neck and uh, ended up with uh, a problem with his spine. And then he he used to do a lot of windsurfing, uh, wing foiling and, you know, stand-up paddle balls. And he's had a few nasty spills, banged his head off the board and whatever. So he definitely says, like, it can affect you and it can affect your mood and it can come and go, you know, because the brain is injured. And the brain is very good at, at separating itself from the rest of the body for protection purposes. So it can take a while for that to heal. And uh, because of the blood-brain barrier, it um, can be very selective about what sort of substances it will allow through so, that so, barrier. So what you're saying is you, you, there, there is something at your practice for pretty much all of those kind of things. but it's um, Well, there are certain things I won't treat. You know, there are certain things that I've I've struggled with. Um, By the way, that's one of the one of the top rules of sales is is just what you've just said there, which is actually honesty, and and actually saying no. Yeah, uh, you know, when yeah. someone comes in and actually they will appreciate it much more when you go. Do you know what? I'm not the right person to treat you. I think yeah. you need to see X, Y, or Z down the road. I mean, sometimes you can treat the condition, but you just can't treat the person. You know. Yes. Oh, oh, okay. Um, so, do you understand what I'm saying? It's the person yeah. just either non-conforming or has their own idea. You know, I, I'm always very wary of people who leave me voicemail and tell me what they want. This is what I want. I want this and then that followed by this. And it's like, you know what? You need to go to a different practitioner because I don't treat you using a method. I treat you and I use methods within that treatment. And it's so, not, how, how, how much of your methods then is in the questioning? Do you know when you were talking earlier about when you're speaking to the client and when they first come in, do you use that then as a as as the as the as the way to develop their treatment? Then is it? Um. So, without going too complex into it, there there are different ways of diagnosing within what I do. So one of the key the key foundations in the medicine is to use observation. So asking, palpation, smelling, listening, hearing. So the senses. The senses. And you can, you can feel like, I think it takes practice. It's not just being intuitive or being a fantastic healer, which does, you know, what one of my teachers would say, you can't fly on talent alone. It's good to have talent, but you do need a method and you need a solid method and approach that works. And I think when you have that, you get far better results. So, so do, you, do you test, because I, isn't it, a, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but quite a lot of people have a, have, a, have a, you know, some people it's a sense of smell, other people it's a sense of taste, and others it's touch. In, in, in other words, or it can be voice or sound. or it, So in other words, people will favor that. And does that adjust the way you might treat them? Because maybe someone, it, 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 is, all about, it, it is all about sound for them. Or, or... Well, there are practitioners out there that, that, that follow a method and they stick to that method and everybody gets treated with that method and it doesn't change. It doesn't deviate. Maybe the prescription will vary slightly, but because of the volume of information that I've been exposed to and the fact that it's just the way my brain works. I like variety. I don't like to be um, in a situation where I'm you know, bored. I will apply, I will go with the flow. So I tend to try to treat people as they are, as they present themselves on the spot. I don't 
necessarily. I mean, obviously, if something's working, I'll stick with that. Like I did this method, your back pain's 50% better. Let's keep going until we get to a point where maybe it's 90% better and nothing's working. Then I'll change I, the method. I tend to agree with you because I actually, I actually think uh, it makes sense to be in the now because actually if you spend all your time back in the past or, or you're trying to predict the future, it, it, it's pointless really because, as I say, you don't know stuff has happened since you last saw them and yeah. you have you have to take each case as it presents, don't you? And yeah. even though you might, you can take on board some of the stuff that's happened in the past, you have to treat each call as being a new a new occurrence, really, isn't it? And, and actually be as focused as you are, because actually some if, 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 if you're not flexible like what you're talking, yeah. it'll be wanted. Well, you, you know, you can assume. And when you start assuming that's dangerous, you start guessing that's dangerous. There are times when people say, well, I don't, do you know why I have that knee pain? And I'm like, I actually don't know. All I'm going to do is I'm treating you. The side effect of that is the knee pain lessens because I'm trying to find where the imbalance is in your body. Now, I can definitely say systems I treated before were very much like, oh, you've got pain in the knee. Okay, we go straight to the knee. But where what changed for me was when I had knee pain and I had the operation and it wasn't going well, and my first teacher was working on my neck and my pelvis and my feet and my back. And I was looking at him saying, like, hang on a minute. I'm paying like whatever it was, 55 pounds a session, which was a lot of money in the 90s yeah. for, for knee pain. And you've not even looked at the knee. Like, what is going on? And after about four sessions, he turned around and went, uh, yeah, and how's the knee? And I went, actually, I don't have any pain. <laughs> He goes, yeah, because it was never about the knee. You know, so it's this is the thing with people is they come with a with an absolute backpack full of a list as long as your arm of symptoms, headaches, back pain, insomnia, digestive disorders, fungal infection of the toe. Skin. Dr. Google. Well, it's not that. It's they're, they're looking for a solution for each thing. Oh, right. Okay. Treating the person, you go be you go to the root. And sometimes you go beyond the root. And then these symptoms, which are just warning signs on the dashboard, they'll start to collapse. You know? If you throw that into the sales routine, then that's exactly where you're, where you're at. If, if people just don't deal with the person, <laughs> you know, if, if, they, if they're just totally order-focused, uh, it's going to kill their business because – you have to treat the, you have to deal with the whole person and you have to think, as we talked earlier about who do they know and what can, what they can, can they do? But also um, you don't know what, what they may need. Yeah. There, there are two types of patients I get generally. I mean, this is a bit of a generalization. You get those that come because maybe they see the volume and the effort and the work ethic that I have and Maybe they'll come and they'll get a massage and they'll get cupping and they'll get acupuncture and I'll give them some herbal remedies. And then they transact. We have a transaction because my fee is my fee and you pay for that. And there are others that don't really care what you do. They just want to be out of pain. If it's one needle or two cups or a massage, it doesn't really matter. And if you get them out of pain in 15 minutes and you've got them off the bench and you charge them the same fee, it wouldn't bother them because they don't mm. care. They just... You don't care what systems you use. I've come with pain. I want to be out of pain. They'll do whatever it takes. So, you, you know. How much, how much of what you're talking here now is common sense or how much of it is learnt? Learnt. How much of it is actually instinct? Um, it's a really difficult question. Like, You know, I think, so obviously I think there are some people out there that have talent and that carries them, but you can burn yourself out on talent. We see what happens to famous people. Eventually they, the stars, they fall from the sky, right? It's very common. Mood swings, depression, drug take, you know. So, you know, flying on talent, you, if you have a system that, that you work with and systems help you, so a sales system, a booking system, 
an yeah. acupuncture training system. And, and it can be a nice basic system, one that works for you. And yeah. you, but you have to be constantly in a state of the personal development. If you really want to excel, you have to be training, learning new things, rolling with the times, keeping up with what's going. You don't have to be at cutting edge. No. You definitely need to. The more time you expose yourself to what other people have got success with, success leaves clues. So what changed for me is when I found the best acupuncturist that I could find with the best results that I'd ever seen, and I started learning from him. Now, I may never, ever, 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 ever achieve what he's achieved. It doesn't matter. I only need 10%. I only need 10% of what he's achieved. And that much added into the mix. And now I've got 10% more clients that I can help. Well, and how, much, how much of what you learned from him, I would say you probably gave him quite a bit of knowledge as well, purely because you were both learning from each other? In this instance, it, I didn't really get to do that because oh, he did you not? Okay. No, but I did stand up and challenge him on a few things. And I think well, he, good. that's important. Yeah. He respected me for that. He was like, Oh, okay. And his attitude was, well, if you're getting results for that, do it. I'm not interested. You know, he was, he knew his limitations. He says, I don't treat this. I don't treat this. And I don't treat this. And I'm like, well, actually I do. And I do. And I do. And I'm in this working. And he's like, okay, fine. Um, so that's what I liked about him. Um, other teachers are very much like lecturers. They just sit there and they just give slides and they just talk about, and it's, you do get a lot, but I like hands-on teaching. This is what I do. This is how it works. Now go away and do it. I, I, you're comfortable coaching and mentoring as well, aren't you? Absolutely. And I was thinking also, you know, I have a reflexologist in my clinic of a massage therapist and of a hypnotherapist. And I'm the busiest. Now, the reason is, I think, because of the way I work. But these people need help, right? They still need help. They still, you know, the, the massage therapist said to me, the reason why I'm busier than I used to be, because I copied what you do. I copied the way you interact, the way you behave, even the way you read book a client in. And I presume she adapted then to... to, 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 to uh, yeah, to whatever uh, she did. Because there's, there's no point in just people just taking a PAP system and not adjusting it because oh. it, the, the real work is actually getting getting a little bit of knowledge and then making it turning it into Anthony Monteith or Kira McKenna, you know, because yeah. that's the key, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your wood hazel because I want to kind of wrap up the podcast now and go a little bit into what the latest project you're doing because I know me and you've talked about I mean, I think it's important if we can help some of these therapists, you know. What we're trying to do is we're trying to give people confidence in selling and marketing themselves first and then business. And we're trying to give them a little bit of structure like what we were talking about there uh, and to help them do it for themselves because there's no point in, 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 we can't be there 24 hours a day. And actually we shouldn't be there just the same as when, those people, the massage therapist and the and and the the recce and all those learn from you. They, they, you you can't be in the calls with them, but they can they can learn from you and they can ask questions. Yeah. And so what we're really trying to do is to offer a service whereby we will actually work with them individually and give them uh, a safe space where they can actually do what we're doing here, talk and listen and, and and be comfortable to be able to do uh, talk about what works for them and what doesn't work. And actually, it's a two-way street. So in other words, that it's a conversation. It's not just you do it this way because that may not work for them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's helping them to find themselves to be able to maximize what they do. Yeah. And in my case, it's sales. And in Rachel's case, it's in marketing. But we're not going to be the ones who are actually going out doing their selling. No. They're the ones who are doing it. And, and what they need is a, a bit of help in coaching, mentoring, training, um, but know that they have support. And so it's like having your own personal sales manager or your own personal marketing manager. We're not in there doing it for you, but we're in there to say, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Not dissimilar to when... I was managing a sales team, and and, and at one stage, it, it went from having seven, eight, nine, ten people working for me 
it, it, it got up to about 72. You know, you can't, <laughs> different brands, you can't be with those people all the time. You can only manage a set amount of them. Or if you're going to have days out with those people, you can only really be beneficial with those people when you're with them and you say, look, you don't need to bring me to your best customers or you don't need to bring me to your worst customers. You just need need, need to use my abilities and experience for what will make you better because you're already in the job. So we're comfortable that you're doing it. So if you translate that into your business, Anthony, it's you're already good at what you do, but I might have some ideas and I might have some questions that might get you thinking about what might make your business better yeah. or a bit of structure or a little bit of support. And that's what we're trying to do. Well, I mean, definitely I can say after this podcast, there will be, we'll be having future conversations because I know I'm in a stage where, you know, I want to help build Jade for the other therapists because that will support and prop me. So it means I don't always have to be there and mm. then look at diversification. Cause I think, you know, mm. I think therapists need to, to look at different models of income. Don't just rely on the first strategy, which is face to face and which yeah. is fine. But as we've seen with COVID that can drop away. And I know myself and yourself are working on a third on a third yeah. model, which is, you know, coaching and mentoring other therapists and helping them because yeah. there's a lot to be learned from the sales process, from the marketing process, but also talking to people who've had success at some level. Um, and also to help people who are in, who, who, uh, and sometimes that might lead into the future where there's a workshop and, and, and where people are learning from each other. And some of the best learnings might even come from those that are at the top. It yeah. might, when else is in the meeting and they go, well, actually I do this. And isn't it so important to learn from your peers? Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone, I think everyone's had some form of win and it's getting them to examine why that was, hmm. you know? And, and so somewhere where we want people to be is we're only as good as our clients. So in other words, exactly as we were talking about referrals and testimonials, if we're working well with people and they can feel better about themselves and their business is growing and they we give them options give them choices help them to take control and 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 that's the key control controllables and that's you okay so i want to wrap up this podcast is there any other any other piece of information you want to give to the audience i know we're going to be in the pillow hotel in ashbourne 17th of october myself kieran and his good wife and we're going to be there for the whole whole day, you know, uh, a yeah. couple of sessions, one morning, one afternoon, uh, and we'll be we'll be taking you through some of the processes that we've used. We'll yeah. also be giving you some advice. Well, the other thing, the other thing that people have to come is that they come with an open mind, yeah. and they come with the fact that maybe use that as an opportunity to be able to improve themselves and what's working in their practice what could be better yeah more importantly what are they going to bring we I, I i and i know you do this anthony as well which is the fact that if people come and see us on the pillow they have to make a commitment and say what are they going to do differently from having been there on that day what what are the three things they're going to do bring back to their business and make that happen now i can't tell them what those are no. it's come out on the day and people are going to feel comfortable to be able to hot, to to work, talk as a team, um, yeah. and it is a team thing, isn't it? And and so, so suddenly they can have the likes of yourself, who who's part of their team. They can have the likes of myself, who can be part of their team. Rachel, uh, people who can actually answer questions and know that they're not alone, not alone, because it's a pretty lonely thing actually being being in business for yourself and that's what you and i would definitely agree with one of the disadvantages of actually having your own business is the fact that you know it, it sometimes it's nice to be in the office and, and and there's a load of people there to support you and, and and that's why people are trying to find their way in this new changing world about um working from home and uh, remote working mm -hmm. this is be back to face to face that's why we're doing it in the pillow and i know we're going to have a chat maybe as well about doing stuff online and maybe if there's group work online or stuff like that but face to face is where it's at isn't it and and, and people are really comfortable to do it um and october well 
it, it comes along on Saturday, so hmm. people to actually uh, book on <laughs> yep. to make it worthwhile, really. Yeah, I'm going to leave the link in the bottom of the description as to what we're doing, and people can follow that link on the podcast. This will be on YouTube, and it'll be fed out to Spotify and other, other podcasting forums for people to grab hold of. We'll also be sharing it out to the acupuncturists and therapists in the group that I'm in in Ireland. If they want to come in, and they want to come and work with genuine people who for genuine interest in helping others and helping them discover uh, their own potential, not what we say, helping them un- unlock that potential that we all have, then that's that's the aim of it. So in fact, the, the, word, the word is maximize, isn't it? Sure. So thanks very much, Kieran, for, for joining me today. Thank uh, you, Anthony. I'm going to obviously have to edit this a bit because we've had some technical issues, but we'll put it together and then put it out there. And uh, I hope people... Thank you, and thank you very much. And thank you for all the work. And by the way, we would be one of the first to give Anthony a testimonial because he's absolutely brilliant. And he knows that. And um, as I say, we we were happy to give him testimonials as well, weren't we? Yes, I still have it on my mantelpiece. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> okay, look, thank you. Thank you for that, Anthony.